for coming yet again. Last week, we uh, started a topic on heaven, Yes. which uh, we wanted to get a little more specific this week. We kind of hit on some highlight parts, right. but we didn't really dig in that deeply to some of the specifics. I was listening to a sermon this week from John MacArthur that he preached when I was seven years old, <laughs> and I can listen to that. That's how amazing the smartphone is. You can That's dig right. up sermons from That's right. you know anywhere. Uh, so it, he did a series on heaven, and one of the things he said was an old saying, everyone talking about heaven ain't going there. <laughs> and then he said, but everybody going to heaven ain't talking about it either. Right. Uh, and he made the point that, you know, even in 1987, when he preached the sermon, it's still true today. Right. Uh, our society is very instant gratification oriented. Right. Uh, we are a now society. We're living in the now. We, we want it now. Um, we don't want to delay anything. Um, we don't even want to save money to buy, to buy something. Let's just put it on a credit right. card. Like, right. why bother waiting? Uh, right. we, we want it now. And when it comes to heaven, it just seems so far off. Uh, perhaps we're not really thinking about it as much as we should be as a society, and maybe even as Christians, just throwing it out there. But um, we kind of broached the topic last week, and we're going to dig in a little bit deeper. So, And we are uh, acquiescing to our uh, resident heaven uh Apologist. I just have the book. He, he read, he you are the for book. this panel. How's that? He wrote okay. the book about so, heaven. Yeah, Randy Alcorn wrote the book, the book so. and Gavin led a Bible study Sunday school class on it for weeks. And so we basically have asked Gavin to help us out in this area. If you haven't read the book or don't have the book, I'm putting another plug. I get no commission on this. It really is a valuable resource for your library. Any question, hopefully, as we get to it here. And they have a, a kid's edition, too. I did not know that. I, well, the reason I know that is because I got a, how would you say it, uh, kind of an arbitrary text. Hey, Brother Ben, can you point me to a good, you know, whatever on a heaven for kids? And she's bringing her kids to Iwana right now. And so I said, I, no, I don't, but I'll do a little research. Well, I Googled it, and Alcorn's book Alcorn's came up for the child. children's edition. I Maybe feel I like I should that start with that. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> Heaven for dummies, do they have that? <laughs> Not in reference to terror, yeah, I'm just no, saying for myself. No insult taken. I, I need this children's version. And as you wade into this, you almost feel that way. I read, there were so many scriptures that he quotes in here that I thought, that is, they are talking about heaven. Yeah. That's obviously talking about heaven. But never put it together in the context that he puts it together in. I also found a DVD in the back of this book. Look at there. Start oh, for crying out loud. And check it out some, too. So uh, on the subject of heaven, Tara, you, you sent a bunch of questions to me, and I just went down those questions. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, the Go questions I posed was um, just thinking about when our family goes on vacation, and I'm not trying to compare heaven to vacation. <laughs> Don't get me wrong by any stretch. I take it much but more it's the same frame I of see mind. the correlation. Much more seriously right. than that, but my kids always ask the same questions. <laughs> well, where are we going to be staying? What are we going to eat? What are we going to do? Right. Well, what does it look like there? What's it like where we're going? It, those are in. Why are we going why, there? I, so those are the kinds of questions it's I'm posing vacation. about <laughs> heaven. So, so the first question is, where will we stay? <clears throat> and I, I, I start tumbling these questions over in my mind. Where, where will we stay? Where will we stay? Uh, and, you know, the first scripture that came to mind was John 14. I go yeah. build, uh, prepare a place for you. Right. If it were not so, I would have told you. Um, Jesus t talking to uh, his disciples. I'm going someplace to prepare a place for you. And obviously that's going to be a place that's had at least 2,000 years of thought put into Correct. it. Um, for each of us, I think this is just my own wish is or thought that I know the heart of Christ so that I know that the things that are furnished there are probably going to be very personal, very intimate, very um, intuitive as far as what Christ has thought about things that I would enjoy, right, right, right. Yeah, those kinds of things, uh, the location. Um, I, I've often uh, thought that I would have a treehouse because I always wanted a treehouse. There house, you go. I want to be up in a big tree. Did you not have some. a treehouse as a kid, Gavin? Uh, no, not, not a... That explains We've had a plenty lot. of forts, <laughs> yes. <laughs> ground dweller, ground dweller, <laughs> hobbit, hobbit hole. Oh, man, maybe uh, I could have a hobbit hole. It wouldn't have to be very high off the tree either. <laughs> With the bush, yeah. Bush house. Sorry. I've actually never thought of that, that 
Jesus cares about each one of us so personally, yeah. so intimately. This will be a tree. That's terrible. That's terrible. But why wouldn't he do that? Will for we be us? able yes. to transport? Oh, oh, oh absolutely. Teleport. Yeah, because it'd be a long climb. <laughs> I'm little, just saying. For a little guy like yeah. me, yes. <laughs> but they could have elevators. It, That's right. Too, you know? That's right. So, so th those kinds of things are the things that I think about heaven being like. And then it occurred to me, it's not necessarily the, you know, where are we going to stay? The, the proximity to him is the mm. important thing. And I just started the, the scripture just started tumbling over at that point. Is so, everybody going to get to live on Jesus Avenue? Uh, on, yeah, on Jesus Street. Everybody, that's the cool place. Yeah. Everybody's going to want to live on that street. But the the effort and the planning and the forethought that's gone into God being with us made, made it perfect sense that heaven's going to be where we're with Jesus. Right. Uh, the garden that he made in the in the first creation was a special, beautiful garden where God could interact with man. Uh, he called a people out of earth so that he could be with a people that would represent him to the world. Um, he had them make a tabernacle where he could dwell with them. Mm -hmm. He had in that tabernacle shoe bread where he could, it was a symbolic communion with his people. Um, he had, Then when he gave them a promised land that he could dwell in, and if you think about how many times the scriptures refers to so that the world would know there was a God in Israel, so that the world would know God, there was a God in Israel, how God acted in the history of Israel to prove that there was a God in Israel. They made the temple that also represented the shoe bread, God with them. Uh, his son was named Emmanuel, God with God us. With us. Uh, so the, his church, of course, um, is now, we, we are the temple of God and um Sec, is it Second uh, Corinthians six sixteen talks about the church being the temple of God, uh, His fellowship with us is the Lord's Supper, just continuation of that that fellowship. Um, he, heaven in uh, Revelations twenty one three. Let me get there. Go ahead, go ahead, brother. Yeah. Taking a deep breath to say something. Well, w one of the things I, I never have studied this out, but one fellow talked about that the the reference in John 14, many mansions, was that it was his opinion that that was talking about our bodies and that our dwelling place in heaven is going to be the same as our dwelling place here on earth, that it's going to be the physical body and that Jesus is creating a perfect physical body for us to dwell in heaven. That, quote, unquote, that's not necessarily referring to another brick-and-mortar building. Yeah. I have no clue if that's yeah. accurate or not. Did, did Randy Alcorn weigh in on that? So he he does, okay. and he weighs in on both, that okay. that, that is true. Sure. We're going to have a, a glorified body. Certainly. And it's going to be a physical body because Jesus' resurrected body was a physical right. body. Jesus' resurrected the body ate the physical right, food. Right. Um, so the question is about whether we that's will eat in heaven. So yeah. right. amen, amen. And the fullness of the Godhead bodily dwelleth in our Lord. Amen. So when we get up there, we're going to see God, and it's going to be in the form of Jesus. Amen. So Revelations 21.3, this is in heaven, a pronouncement that's made in heaven. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Um, so the, the entire story of the Bible is you know, from Genesis to Revelations, God's God's moving towards being with man and, and um, communing with him. And so uh, where are we going to stay? We're going to stay with him. Mm -hmm. And it's going it's to be nothing that we could think of, but it's certainly not going to be less than what we have seen already of the beauty of the world. I noticed um, just in listening to a bit of a lot of John MacArthur this week and his teaching on heaven, in Ezekiel, when he tries to describe heaven, and I was reading through it, and it's it's kind of confusing. Um, and then I'll be honest. And then Isaiah describes, you know, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw, and he gives this vision, mm -hmm. which again is a little bit, it's a lot to take in. And then just reading um, a bit in Revelations as they're describing what they see in heaven, it's all, it's almost like it's so much, they can't even explain it. Like, they're trying to explain right. it. They're trying to put words to it. Right. And it's like, it's like they can't put words five to Five-year-old trying to explain the forest. Right. Mm -hmm. 
or even more than that, like a five-year-old trying to explain quantum physics. Like, right. I, I just can't put a word to what I've just seen. Right. It's mm. almost what it, it seemed like. And maybe in my mind just isn't creative enough to wrap uh, my head around it, but it's, it's almost like it was big, it was too much, I <laughs> fell on my face <laughs> in worship. That's all they could do because it was so overwhelming. And, and I think we would be disappointed if it wasn't. Right. You know, we're going we're gonna to be disappointed if we get up there and it looks like Tinker Toys put this thing together, you know. And obviously that's not going to happen, but uh, I, I believe that it will be mind-blowing. This is uh, Alcorn's, it, the, this is it under the chapter titled, Will the New Earth Be an Endemic Paradise? And, the, and this is just a paragraph or a phrase from, uh, sentence from that. The phrase planted in the garden, he's comparing this with the Garden of Eden, heaven being like the Garden of Eden. Uh, the phrase planted a garden shows God's personal touch, his intimate interest in the creative details of mankind's home. In the same way that God paid attention to the details of the home he prepared for Adam and Eve in Eden, Christ is paying attention to the details he is, he, as he prepares for us an eternal home in heaven. And he refers to John 14, 1 through 3. Um, if he prepared Eden so carefully and lavishly for mankind in the six days of creation, what, what is he fashioned in the place He's preparing for us in the 2,000 years since he left this world. So I'm just carrying that thought a little bit further there. What else? So, I, again, the, the, just went down the questions that Tara yeah. sent me. Um, so the, the other question is, what are we going to eat, or are we going to eat? Um, and we... This probably should have been first, but I'm just... <laughs> <laughs> we kind of mixed it in a little bit here, uh, talk, talking about eating. And he. this is the section where... Uh, Randy Elkhorn points out that Jesus' resurrected body ate Eight. physical food, right. so um, it's perfectly legitimate Eight. to think that we will right. eat and have right. physical food. Um, so what are we going to eat? That And uh, it's customary for Jesus to fellowship o over food, and that we see that throughout the scriptures. Uh, the shoe bread, the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, all, all of those were times of fellowship. Can we have you describe a little bit more in detail shoe bread? Can you give us so a little more? Because people are thinking, what? Yes. It's not S-H-O-E. It's uh, S-H-E-W. No, -E right. Yeah. And I, I don't know the, the specific reference of the word of the Hebrew word, but there was supposed to be in the t tabernacle, the tent tabernacle, and in the, the temple, physical temple, a table or an altar where bread was put out every day, fresh bread was put out every day, as a symbol of God's communi communion with man, his desire to commune with uh, man, and a, as a, uh, a display of God's desire for fellowship with man, is, is my understanding. Breaking of bread. Breaking bread, and um, that, what is it about food that um, just brings out fellowship or brings out um, the family relationship, or I mean, you know. I got an idea. Think about it. So you take a, a bite, you know, we're, we're, we're raised by good people. We, we don't talk, so the other person gets a chance to talk. But they're hungry, so then they take a bite. Well, we've, we've processed ours by Maybe that time, so we get a chance. <laughs> yeah, so you, both of you can get a word in edgewise, you know, type deal. And you're, you're fellowshipping instead yep. of one person. Monologuing. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, I like I, that. So, sounds good to me. But so uh, what, what will we eat? I mean, he, Alcorn just talks about the... Manna was referred to as angel's bread. It's what angels regularly ate. Um, I'm reading through or listening through the Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> series again now, and they have so what's good. called lambus bread. Mambus, yeah. Is it mambus or uh, lam lambus? Lambus. Lambus, yeah, and that, that's the elves made. apparently the perfect uh, food for keeping you healthy. Right, and, one bite and, is a meal. So, so I'm... Which I am totally against. For the no. record, I love bread. I really like what I'm hearing here. I've had to give up gluten in my old lady days, and right. I'm, like, so excited. Well, one of my first thoughts was the person that made that bread for the temple had to be 400 pounds because you know <laughs> she made a so loaf for herself, too. Oh, you know, bread is so good. Who makes just one loaf? That's right. Come on. Got the oven all fired Do up? You, so did he say anything in the book about was that any kind of foretelling for the communion? Was that any kind of foretelling for... So, the so breaking the, the, of bread, the, the shoe bread. Yeah. Um, so not, I didn't find that in Alcorn's writing, but I have read it. Yeah. That, that, that that's yeah. a continuation of the intent right. of God to, to fellowship Which man. The, the the communion table comes straight from the Passover. Mm -hmm. 
but I'm curious if, if the Passover maybe has some connection because the temple showbread would be actually previous to the Passover. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, communions after that. That's right. Yeah. And then the, the Passover, of course, Jesus became the Passover. Correct. Um, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. I'm going to be a little simple for a minute, but um, yeah, I've had to diet my whole life. Like, literally, I don't know a time in my life where I haven't. And I'm looking forward to having a glorified body where we just get to eat bread and, you know, gluten and carbs and I hope ice cream, things like that. But <laughs> I just know how much we enjoy food on earth, and I just don't think that God saved his best for this at all. Amen. So I'm looking forward to that. I think we will feast in heaven. I think that feasting was a part of celebrations. They talked about in the Bible when there was a wedding, it would be like a week long, and they would just eat and yeah. lounge and enjoy and relax, and it was a beautiful celebration. Yeah. Um, I think why would that only be here? Why wouldn't that be a part of eternity? It's part, part of God's design for fellowship, for interacting, getting to know each other. Um, amen. I, I agree 100 um, percent. The other thing that occurred to me while you were talking about that is, can you imagine somebody who's been cooking for a thousand years, how good they're going to be oh, as, as cooking a meal? I think well, and I want to know, are there going to be uh, geographical distinctions? Are you going to have a southern heaven? <laughs> where you have pulled pork, so you have a northern heaven where you have hot awesome. dogs. Yes. Yeah. Of every kindred really? nation and tribe, there will there be people represented. So he, he makes the point that there may be soccer teams from, you know, yeah. Ethiopian soccer team re represented from the will we still dream team of Ethiopia for right. soccer because they'll have all of time to choose their That's their athletes from. And we almost, uh, we kind of, you mentioned that sports in heaven, yeah. and and I'm not saying just sports is in just you know competitive, but just mm -hmm. recreation. There's you think there will be activities, or is there something in his um, yes study? Uh, so so and we're just about out of time. For this portion, you ask that what will we do in heaven? Will we be, will we be bored? Will we be bored? That was one of your Easy the you titles. Yeah, no, it wasn't. Uh, so. I was just going to read the titles of, of the chapters that deal yeah. with that. It's chapters 37 through 41. Holy cow. Yes. A lot of chapters that he deals on will with. we be bored. Exactly. Those uh, chapter. Um, so, for instance, 37, how will we relate to each other? Chapter 38, what will the new earth society be like? So he talks about society, societal changes. Without sin. Without like, sin. I want to know what my mind is like when I don't have greedy mm. thoughts, when I don't have jealous thoughts, when I don't have unforgiveness that Bloodness. I have to deal with. And Right. Yeah. That's what society will be without sin that we can't even imagine. Our art and entertainment that's not stained by sin. Right. I mean, right. And, and not, not what, how would you say it, not um, questioning someone's motives. Right. You'll be able right. to take them for who and what they and are. And when you say rent DVDs in heaven, I was thinking, I really do love movies. I hope that's something that's a Me thing. Me too. <laughs> I, I want to see this in color. I, I want to be able to push a button and watch uh, Elijah call Could, fire down from heaven. If you ever watched one of those, uh, I guess it's a funny a comedian that's talking over a Video that's that's making fun of video. Oh, oh yeah. So, uh, so I can love you? It. That, that's what, what do you call those? The, 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 it's the rage anymore. Uh, it's uh, reaction videos. So you, you can know, you imagine Moses talking about his? You know, watch us now with this burning bush <laughs> starts coming up. Watch my face. Here, watch. Well, you that's think there'll good. be new stories in heaven? Because you know most movies and whatnot today that you know you got the good guy and the bad guy but if there's not going to be any evil in heaven <laughs> yet, Excellent how, how would you make a story out of it how is there going to be any risk in heaven yeah. how is it all of that so he he addresses that he said who says who says there's not going to be risk who says there's not going to be injury there'll be healing but there may there may be oh no certainly. that's fascinating hmm. yeah there may will there be, be a redneck line watch this <laughs> <laughs> yep there's a bunch of them up there already <laughs> uh, oh i guarantee ta talking about it uh Mostly my kin. <laughs> so uh, talks about what will society be like? Will animals inhabit the new earth? Will, will animals, including our pets, live again? Will heaven ever, ever be boring? Uh, will there be arts, entertainment, so and sports? answer that one. Does he think our pets will be in heaven? Yes. He does? Yes. Well, we got to have Brad Bannerman read that. It's pretty good <laughs> okay, argument Brad, for it. How, Brad, uh, oh, there's a word. These words are escaping me right now. 
he traumatizes all of our children by telling them, your pets will not be in heaven. <laughs> I don't know. My cat's got an evil streak. I don't really think. I like her a lot, but I don't Maybe think some she's going to make, make it. it. I don't know. <laughs> she's not going to make the cut. That's awesome. Anyway, right. get the book. Good, good stuff. Oh, why it's should we do read. that when we got you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just keep having these segments. Uh, so we'll break. Last week, we tried something new. It was, there's two types of people in this world. We're going to give it another round. Um, and I, uh, I have one I'm pretty excited about because I know where I'm at, and so does my husband. And it's, there's two types of people in this world. Those who get gas before their tank is completely Ooh. empty and those who don't. Ooh. What are you? Oh, I'm, I, I'm coming in on fumes. <laughs> Same. And he'll even get in my car and be like, your tank's on empty. And I'm like, it's not even, the light hasn't even come on yet. We've got like at least 25 more miles. We're fine. <laughs> uh, that, that's hilarious um, because that helps me with my next week's. There's two types of people. No, but right. Go ahead. What, what type are you? So I have, am a convert from coming into fumes to getting it the night before. So filling oh, up when I go. come home. Because uh, you forget so when you head out times, and yeah. run out of gas. Yeah. Yeah. That's a new level it's of It's an hour drive every I, day. I every think day. I already know, Ryan, you're, a, you're not that guy. You're a quarter tank. And it's surprisingly, I am like, I'll, I'll wait until I got, the most I've made is like six miles left. Nice. <laughs> so wow. I make it pretty close. Me and my wife are both that type, and I end up filling up both of them. So. <laughs> but. I'm convinced God did a minor miracle one evening when Dawn and I were in somewhere Arkansas. We were kind of sort of lost, and we were on zero, zero. Mm. And we went for about 15 miles on zero, zero until <laughs> we got to the next hey, gas station. I had that happen. I mean, this is going back some years, but driving to college and back, and I was driving through Nebraska and just – being a college student, not even, th and I looked down and I didn't even know how long it'd been on empty. And there's not a lot of gas stations, no. and I don't think I was breathing even. Like I was. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Why did we do that? We think it would be lighter. Yeah. That's uh, funny. Turned off the radio and everything. <laughs> <laughs> the air conditioner. Don't want to cause any more gas. That is hilarious. I want to make this as tense as possible when I finally get there. <laughs> and it's a little mini praise service when you pull up to the oh, tank. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Jesus. Yeah, Somebody right. texted in, there's two types of people in this world. Those who go to celebrate recovery and those who should. Or who, who should. Who should. should. <laughs> those who should. Very good. And I'm like, who is right here. Amen. Very good. That's hilarious. Do you have one? I do. Uh, two kinds of people, uh, competitors and non-competitors. Before I oh. give you my stuff, what, what are you guys? Are you a competitor, Tara? Not anymore. Not anymore. No, I used You're a convert. Be, I used to be okay. really bad, and I uh, I just don't care. I'm so beat down. I think it's like Nebraska is so bad. I just I'm over it. I, I just feel don't, your pain. I don't. I I'm, I don't think do you, I have a competitive thing in me anymore. Do you watch the SEC shorts? Yes, yeah, sometimes. Yeah, those are awesome. Are you competitor or non-competitor? Uh, competitor in some areas, non-competitor in others. Okay. Competitor. Very much a competitor. All right. All right. So. Um, I, I got to get it here. Uh, here's how you can determine which one you are. Which choice do you have to make? Do you have to make the choice to compete? If you do, you're not a competitor. If you have to make the choice to not compete because you're going to fix and hurt a friendship, or <laughs> yeah. th then you're a competitor. You know, and, th and that's where I'm at. I, I, before I go into a golf game, I have to decide I'm just going for fun. I'm just going for fun. Before me and Benjamin go to the woods, I have to decide. It doesn't matter if he kills something or I kill something. I'm just going to have fun. I'm a competitor. Uh, and now, you, it's probably because I had two brothers that beat me mercilessly. Uh, one would beat me if I didn't help him win. The other would beat me if I did win. You know, and so I, I became a competitor. You know, and, and that, that, it don't matter. Ping pong, uh, paper football, I, I'm competing. So... Uh, late kick Josh Pate said this, uh, talking about how people think that a coach wouldn't want to go to the hardest conferences to play because of the stiff competition. He, he has heard people say, well, uh, that coach won't go to the SEC because he doesn't want to get beat by Nick Saban. Or, he said coaches don't think like that. They don't think, I don't want to go get beat. They're a coach. They're thinking, give me a shot. I'll bring Nick Saban down. You know, that, that's a competitor. And that's what got me thinking about 
this particular. That's what got Nebraska in the Big Ten. Yeah. They haven't won anything since. <laughs> I believe in Terrible competing decade. for fun, but winning is fun. So. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Uh, it's the funnest. Yeah, yeah. So, so there, there's my two kinds of people. I, I plagiarized my, my uh, two kinds of people today, too, just to give you, just for all full disclosure, uh, two kinds of people, cleanies and messies. Yeah. And this goes back to yeah. the 90s as an author and uh, Sandra Felton, I think, uh, did the whole spiel on Messy cleanies. manual. Yeah. The, me, the messy uh, manual. Messy's yep. guide to. Yep, yep. Cleaning the house or it, uh, so you, organizing you got messy messies, which there's just no hope for those. <laughs> and then you've got an organized messy, you know, yada yada yada. And then you got, then you got a cleaning, cleaning, and, and then you got a, yeah. a messy cleaning. <laughs> yeah. So I people who have I'm absolutely no organizational <laughs> qualities to their life, then to some level, I'm an organized messy. I I could tell you right now the what the stacks on my desk are, and so I, I have some level. Of organization. I'm sometimes surprised by what's in the stack, but yeah, no doubt. Ooh, that's where that's at. <laughs> you, I so think, what are well, you? I don't know. Like on a one to ten scale, like one is you're pretty messy, ten is like you're pristine. I'm like a six point five, okay. seven on a good day. What Company's would, coming what over. What would John say you are? Who? <laughs> ten being completely organized. What is she, oh. John? <laughs> good man. Good man. Wise good man. man. Well, he's like, don't look in the closet, though. Yeah. <laughs> don't don't go there. Well, hey, <laughs> every, every house has to have a junk room. Every house. Yeah. Unfortunately, every one of ours is a junk room. But nonetheless, <laughs> you, are you a organizer? I'm somewhere in the middle. I'm kind of with you guys. Like, if I have a pile, I know what's in it. Right. But I do let things pile up to the point that I look at it and go, oh, that's uh, it's time to clean up. <laughs> We have to have company over sometimes just to get the house that clean. Because yes. when they're coming over, it's like 10 out of 10. Oh, it always looks this good. I, I mean, this I work really hard to maintain all this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we know the truth. Did you oh, yeah. did you confess which one you are? So I, I'm I'm lean towards the cleanie. Yeah. I, I'm constantly fighting to get over that line. No doubt. So. No doubt. All right. You got one? I do. Are we doing two tonight or just one? We'll uh, still one. Yeah. Still one. Okay, uh, there's two types of people. Those who need closure and... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Oh, that is good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I'm definitely the one that needs closure. I need Me closure. Too. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I didn't. That's funny. Ditto. That's good, right? <laughs> I was still I'm impressed. The one Has he went over his 10-word count, ten word count <laughs> yeah, yet? Yeah, I, I think he's there. Just good. barely. Right. Barely, yeah. You're probably at 12 words. All right, that's good. All right, we'll get spiritual again here. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so if you've been paying attention at all in the last month, we've really, uh, Ben has started a focus on missions and increasing our mission mindedness and awareness. Um, so we thought it would be a good idea to discuss in a series, um, Paul's missionary journeys. So we're going to start with that tonight. Um, if you have your Bible, we'll be in Acts chapter nine. Uh, this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journey, which would be his conversion. So this is the conversion of Saul. Shall I read, Ben? Or? Well, so let's start in Acts 8, 1b, just for a moment. Okay. Uh, and Saul approved of their killing him. That's Stephen. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church. Now, that word destroy is very important. Another uh, version says ravaged. It literally means an animal tearing apart another animal. Uh, So Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Now we'll pick it up at where you were. Go ahead and read 9. So this is Acts chapter 9. But Paul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters from the synagogues of, at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. 
So they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. And now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, I love this part. <laughs> really, Lord? Yeah, yeah. I've Lord, heard this guy. Are Lord, you sure? I have heard many things about this man and much evil that he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. And I will show him how much he has suffered for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized and taking food, he was strengthened. So that is the miraculous conversion of Saul. Now, we say that. Uh, that in no way diminishes yours or my conversion. Every conversion is a miraculous conversion because of what it took to make that happen. It took the bloody death of Christ. It took the three-day, if you will, burial of Christ. And it took the supernatural resurrection of Christ. And then it took the ascension of Christ, which is no small feat. Who of us, by our own decision, can go to heaven right now without dying? Uh, it took the Holy Spirit coming and wooing over this world and calling you to repentance. So every conversion is miraculous. From there, you have different levels. Uh, and Saul's was certainly, you know, a top ten a miraculous conversion because you had a man that thought he was doing God's will. He thought he was doing God's bidding, and he wasn't. He was as wrong as he could be. He was as blind as he could be. In my humble opinion, the blindness that God gave him was just to show him how blind you really are. And so... Uh, there is really no worse situation on this earth to be spiritually blind and not realize it. <clears throat> and, and you know, there, I think it's Corinthians that says the God of this world has blinded their eyes as so if scales. Believe, yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think that's a reference to Paul. And so uh, Jesus blinds him, calls him to himself, uh, tells him, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you're persecuting. You think you're persecuting human beings. You're persecuting me because my spirit dwells in each one of those human beings, and I'm tired of you persecuting me. Um, now That should be a comfort to every believer to me. Isn't yeah. that the truth? Yeah. That, that's, it's not just me that's that right. you're, you're attacking. It, well, back to the core principle. It is an offense to God for us to offend another yeah. believer because uh, one person even said that um, the reason that Cain's murder to Abel was such an offense to God was because God's image was on Abel, you know, yeah. uh, that God took that as a personal affront. Um, and so now this verse here is not in all versions, and I can't remember if you read this one or not about uh, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It's hard for thee to kick, kick against the goads. Is that in your version? So it's not, um, the reason but I, I do have some commentary on kicking against the goats because right. that was part of, well, okay. Um, I might just read it at the risk yeah. of um, reading something, but it says, um, this is the commentary about what a goat is, and it's G-O-A-D. Mm -hmm. um, a goat was a prodded, like a, a jabbing kind of a stick so that an they, would, cattle prod. they would jab into an ox. And it would kick against it, but that's so the the goat the ox didn't like the goat because right. they would kick it against and um, so what had been prodding against Saul, and so when he was saying you're kicking against the goat, the commentary was what were the goats right. for Saul, and one of them, as you mentioned, was um, Stephen's death. Mm -hmm. So here he watched Stephen be stoned. Um, and, and that had to be one of the moments where he's thinking this man is boldly proclaiming 
Christ, right. even though we're we're kill, killing him. I'm actively participating in his death. He yet, authorized it, but he is fine with he's he'll go to he'll go to the grave right. to defend that Jesus is the resurrected Savior. So that was one of the goads as they talked about. Which, you know, and this gets into so many other things, uh, but we've talked before about the fact that these common, uneducated men were willing to die for Christ is proof to any other man that Christ was who he says he was. You Still know, today, I think that. Right, that's exactly right. Because if you know that it's a sham, when it comes to the point of spilling blood, you're like, oh, okay, all right, all right, all right, you got me. You know, but, but every one of them are like, do whatever you got to do to me. I, I know that I'm going to be better off if I have to die for this Christ. And so that's what Paul watched Stephen do. So the, really the whole point of talking about this is that all of this turned into evangelistic fever. All of it turned into missionary prowess, if you will. Uh, he was undaunted. I mean, you know, we'll get to it eventually as we go through the missionary journeys. But I mean, but even in the next two verses there in nine, it says, "In straightway he went and preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God." So he didn't he didn't hem all around. Let me think about it. He went right back to the people who sent him to destroy the church right. and started preaching Christ to them. Can you imagine the reception he got there? <laughs> what, what what the confusion looks on the on the Pharisees and the Sadducees were when he came. What? Like, what, what happened? Weren't Paul? you just Saul? coming to us asking how many of these Christians can I kill? Right. You were asking for permission to destroy them, and now you're I'm one of confused. Them. Yeah. yeah, help me <laughs> what understand what's here? going on here. Amen. Well, I um again had read some commentary on the Ananias, the portion of where Ananias is told you need to go to Saul of Tarsus, and hearing Saul of Tarsus was significant dun, dun, dun. yeah i mean and how the person kind of gave the analogy that would be like us satan you know seven eight years ago um we're gonna have you go down to the local coffee shop and there's somebody i want you to meet there um it's osama bin laden and you're gonna go ahead and bring him back to your church and we're gonna uh lay hands on him and pray right. for him and he's probably he's gonna get baptized and that would be terrifying to us um feel like that's a good analogy for Ananias. Like you're really, you want us to go really saw, saw of Tarsus, right? The one that's and, persecuting and it, Christians. It's highly likely that, that Ananias is specifically who Saul was coming for. Right. It's very highly likely because he's the head of the church That's a good there. point. And it's, it's kind of a over a recurring theme in scripture where God puts the oppressor or the abuser at the hands of the mercy of the person that's about to be uh, persecuted or, or who has been mistreated, um, Joseph and his brothers. His brothers ultimately had to come to him for mercy. Um, there, there's, I have a, a list of these where, where the abuser had to come to the person they were abusing for help. And, and it's a recurring uh, theme in Scripture. And, the, of course, the most prominent one is Christ. Uh, the people who crucified him, Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And they cried out, his blood be on our head. His blood on me. They had no idea what they were no saying. No idea what they were saying. Uh, but they had ultimately, any of the people in the crowd at the crucifixion that came to Christ later were in the same theme. And, and just a little, you know, side note there. Aren't you so glad that, that God did not hold them to that? You know, any one of those men that confessed Christ, I believe, was forgiven, you know. Uh, be, be, I mean, it, it's kind of like making an oath, and then you realize, oh, Lance, what, what have what I done? What did I say? Yeah. You know. So uh, one thing too about Ananias, isn't it kind of funny that he's he's telling the all-knowing, all-powerful, ever-present God? Now you you know who Saul is, right? <laughs> you know, and that's just Ananias's humanity. Yeah. You know, and and God is patient with our humanity. You know. Now I think it's wise for us not to push it. <laughs> Just one more time, Lord. Yeah. But anyway. I think this uh, Ananias, usually when we hear this story, we think of Saul and his conversion and how intriguing that is. You know, what was he thinking, his goads he was kicking against. But I think it's interesting um, that he says, uh, you know, 
if I can even find it here, that the, um, the Lord told him to go to the house and see him. And he says, in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias to come to his place and come to place his hands on him and restore his sight. I just think it's interesting. He, if he knew his name in the vision, God knew specifically that Ananias was going to do this, even though he had free will not to, and he had right. a specific purpose for him. I just thought that was interesting. Amen. Um, I found this interesting, too, um, in kind of what I studied getting ready for this, but there's a quote from C.S. Lewis who, you know, C.S. Lewis is quoted quite a bit. Um, I didn't know this uh, until I read it, but C.S. Lewis was an atheist. He was a literary professor at Oxford, and here's a little quote that you won't hear too often about him, but he's quoted as he called himself, quote, the most dejected, reluctant convert in all of England, drug into the kingdom, kicking, struggling, resentful, and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. Wow. That's C.S. Lewis. Yeah, right. <laughs> Talk about a convert. Right. Who? And who? he couldn't deny it. Like, right. he couldn't deny that Christ was our Savior, right. is our Savior. Uh, if, you, if you've ever heard or read Mere Christianity, it, it's one of the, I mean, it, it, it's the book, you know, when it comes to this type of stuff, you know, apologetics and things of that nature. And C.S. Lewis, you know, wrote that. He also wrote the Screw Tape Letters, uh, which is basically his opinion of how demons work against us. It, it's very powerful and enlightening. Um, so one thing, too, uh, about Ananias here, Verse 15, go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings uh, and the children of Israel. We have to ask ourselves, why was Saul so committed to persecuting Christians? He was so committed to persecuting Christians because he just vehemently disagreed with the way. He was sold out to Judaistic ways. And... For him to be called a vessel to the Gentiles, that is a complete repudiation of Judaism. And, and so basically, God's telling Ananias, because Ananias didn't miss that. Ananias was like, oh, holy cow. Because, you know, Ananias might have even had an issue with, no, no wait a minute, God, let's don't lose our head. <laughs> we're we're going to send him to Gentiles? You know, uh, because... All of Israel struggled with that. You know, that, that was one of those foundational things. We're God's chosen people. And 400 years after Malachi, they had gotten to the point where God's only people. You know, you talk about bigotry. Mm -hmm. You talk about racism. They, they bought in wholeheartedly. I mean, just ask a Samaritan, you know. So it, it, it is very, everything that's going on here, you know, God is rewriting everything. He, he, he's He's taking that hourglass and turning it upside down. You know, I am changing the game with Saul. I, you know, I, I think I referred to this uh, either last Sunday or two Sundays ago. Who, who would make worldwide news if they had a Saul-like conversion? Hmm. What, what's your opinion? You well, know, you I, had said Beyonce and Jay-Z, yeah. but, I mean, I'm thinking, like, at right now in America today, it would be... It would be like a, a Joe Biden moment. Right, right. Or a Kamala Harris Kamala Harris, uh, Nancy Pelosi, yeah. Chuck Schumer. I mean, for that matter, uh, name a Republican that, that is powerful, you know, to, to, to truly, totally sell out. Kim Jong-il? I mean, they'd probably kill him. If he's alive at this point. <laughs> That's a good point. He <laughs> <laughs> may have already met his maker. <laughs> I saw a picture of him just the other day. He's lost weight. He looks good. <laughs> it must be keto. Yeah, it must be keto. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, so I, you know, because that's, that's what it was. For Israel, anyway, Saul was that person. You know, whoever we would name right now, Saul was that person. Every Israelite, when they said, hey, you, you heard that Saul is a part of the way now, they went, hmm? You know, do what? And, and so that... It was a miraculous conversion. Just think of the opposite of that, too. I just wondered, wonder what the look on Paul's face was when he heard that Ananias had to come and heal him. Mm. You know, the, the yeah, reverse yeah. of that right. the situation. Ananias is shocked that he has to go see Paul, Paul, but then Paul thinking, that's the guy I was going for. Yeah. That's the guy that I was going to. And God's what, gonna, What's he going to do to me? I can't see. I can't fight back. 
if there's a demonstration of grace right there, Paul yeah. learned it. That. And, and humility for mm-hmm. Paul. Think about this guy. Well, both of them. Uh, he was blind for three days. Is there a symbol there with the three well, days? Could be. I hadn't even made that connection. I'm just thinking along the lines of just all the contemplation. I mean, you know, if you had three days that you you know you can't see nothing, <laughs> you would really, you know, you need to go home and rethink your life. Yeah. You well, know? three hours even. <laughs> no, 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 thirty minutes, three seconds. <laughs> Sweating it out. Is this permanent? Is yeah. This, yeah. Uh, everything yeah. Yeah. Right. Again? Right. Yeah. What am I going to do? Mm. Good stuff. All right. For our final topic in our, these last eleven minutes. Uh, ben had posed a question, and it's a good one. <laughs> I'm going to make fun of myself, as I usually do. The topic is, do you believe it's true that we double our responsibilities every decade? And if so, how do you manage? So just Sunday, we were talking in our small group, uh, and I rem- had a memory back when I was you know, like 21, and I can remember saying, oh, my gosh, I just can't wait to get done with college. My life is going to be so much easier when I'm done with all these classes. I just oh my gosh. I can't wait until all I do, quote, is just go to work. Go to work. All I got to do it. is work. I don't have to study anymore. And, and then you turn 30. And then, yeah, well, then I had twins, and the rest <laughs> is history. So it did not get easier as I believed it would after I graduated from college. If anything, it tripled its difficulty. So, yeah, I do think we double our responsibility at least every decade. And so, Ryan, you're what? You're not even halfway into this. only had a couple decades. Right, right. So you're 23? Uh, 24. 24. All right. So you're almost to the halfway mark between 20 and 30. So have you even increased your responsibilities, what, from 20? I Yes, for sure. I mean, my responsibilities have went way up, but like I said, the last a decade ago, I was still living with my parents, so right. <laughs> obviously there, it's going to go. Up. But I think it should go up. Yeah. I don't know. Oh, no doubt. I think the a natural lot of, order of things. Yeah. I think a lot of people push against it. Like, you could see that with... So, while I was thinking about this, I looked up, you know, how much time people spend on their phones, and I got anywhere from 3 to 17 hours a day, so I don't a think day. people really know. But a day. Lot. And between that and the age, that the average age that people start having kids going up and everything, I feel like a lot of people are pushing against getting responsibility, but I right. think it's a good thing, and I think oh. we should double at least every decade. But. So you're between 50 and 60, Gavin, and I am too. So what's your opinion of this? I, I think there's, a, at the beginning, a more than doubling, mm-hmm. and at the end, I'm more than having. <laughs> So I, when you retire, when you start to let go of things as far as responsibilities go, there's a pretty pretty quick drop off of responsibility. But yes, I think it's at least doubling in a in a decade, and along with that doubling of responsibility responsibilities, there's a halving of energy. So, <laughs> so this creates a crisis. In my 40s, Dawn and I took one of the first married or soon to be married couples through this. Uh, and Ryan and Sarah have gone through it, Megan and Alex have gone through it now, and Zach and Emmy are starting now. And it's just premarital counseling. It's 10 sessions. Gary Smalley does it's great stuff. The very last session, the session 10, uh, one of the guys says this quote, that, that, and it's his opinion, that every decade, 20, 30, 30, 40, 40, 50, you double your responsibilities. The first time I heard that, I looked to Dawn and said, that is so true, and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm that, kicking against the I'm goads. I'm kicking <laughs> against the goads. So I just wrote here, I have certainly seen this in my life. In my 20s to my 30s, I was a youth pastor. In my 30s to my 40s, I was a pastor. In my 40s to my 50s, I took on quite a bit of associational responsibilities. And then in my 50s, I've taken on even more responsibilities within my town, the association, and our church. So absolutely, no doubt, in my life, my responsibilities have doubled every 10 years. So how do I handle this? Uh, the sermon series, Emotional Intelligence, which only, was only about three or four months ago, is my answer to this question because I was truly struggling with all these additional things, and th- this whole concept of emotional intelligence has helped me, if you will. So these are just kind of some bullet points. Ask for help. Sit down with somebody that you know has got more on their plate than maybe you, and I, how do you do it? And they may confess to you, I ain't doing it very well. But they also may help help you. They may give you some pointers. Uh, become organized. You know, and, and I mean, I, you talk about kicking against the code. Uh, uh, yeah, goads. I, for the longest, I, this is just who I am. Get over it. You know, I'm unorganized. Love me. 
well, eh. you know, so then I have to look in the mirror and go, yes, I'm unorganized. I'm also unproductive. I'm inefficient. So am I going to look at myself and say, just get over it? Eh. You know, at some point, <laughs> you got to be willing to, to, to become better. Prioritize, learn to say no uh, to self and to others, uh, never to God, family or God's mission, prayer. This is a huge thing. And then um, the book that we're going through at 530, uh, How to Be a Neighbor, they're going to discuss this on prioritizing. Make the main thing the main thing, eliminate time stealers, and be interruptible, you know, and so... See, I see the flip there. You talk about being organized. Um, if that's the priority, though, you can't be flexible and respond to things that come up spontaneously. Sure. So, so there's but some beauty. Be in interruptible. Both. Yeah. You got to yeah. be interruptible. Um, but that doesn't go with being organized or prioritized. You know well, what I'm right, right. So there's a. You have to. You have to be a little yep. bit. Uh, have a little discretion in there. Um, so, so the, you know, the flip side of any fault is a is a plus. The, so you can be unorganized or un not have your day planned, but you can respond to somebody's need right away if you right. don't have a list of things that you've got to get done before the, the sun goes down. So, yeah, man. so some, uh, what, dis discretion is a better part of valor? Or, right. Better um, say there he goes than there he lays. and all things, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the wise and eminent theologian Chad Linval told me that. In college, he said, Ben, discretion is the better part of valor. It's better to say, there he goes, than there he lays. <laughs> <laughs> Try to live my day. life by it. Well, our responsibilities have definitely doubled and tripled. And, I mean, I'm in, I'm in it to win it right now. But um, somebody had texted in, and it reminded me of something I had heard a preacher say. Um, someone texted in, when you retire, you start missing doing things that you wish you could do. And what he tells, um, he tells all of their college students before you start your career path, give a year or two, if you can, to the mission field. Mm. Before you start your career, before you start family, just go into the mission field for two years and then start it. And he said, we tell our retired people the same thing. Before you go out and do all the retirement things on your list, give a year or two to missions. Um, and he encourages his retired community to really, now that you're done with your work life, start your mission life, um, which is pretty interesting. And it's Very been good. interesting what he said. One of the members of their church retired and ended up getting um, the opportunity to open up a, like a, he was an industrial plant manager, um, offered him a job to go over to India to open up this plant. And so he said, well, you know, I'll, I'll do it. And he said he became a huge influence to people he would have never gotten an audience with right. and won all these people to Christ, became a missionary within India because of this. Mm. And he said, that's in the 1040 window you talked right. about where right. it's really hard to get missionaries right. in there. And he said, it cost the church zero dollars. And in fact, he tithed while he was over there. So the church even came out on top. He used his retirement and entered a mission field. Amen. Which is pretty cool. Mm. That is cool. That's good stuff. Good thoughts. All right. Well, that's all we've got for tonight. Thanks for coming, guys. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everybody.